Welcome, everyone, to the Cloak and Dagger podcast by Fantastic Geek, your official, unofficial voice of the Marvel Cinematic Community. My name is Matt, and joining me, who dat? It's Pete. Hello, Pete. Wait, are you that kid? The Cloak and Dagger podcast by Fantastic Geek for episodes 101, First Light, and 102, Suicide Sprints. The big two-hour premiere on Freeform, Matt, is brought to you by Emoji Evita, dropping GPS pins all over the place. And indeed, Pete, here we are finally talking Cloak and Dagger, a heck of an opening uh, duet there on uh, on Freeform, talking the two episodes here. So if you've only seen the one, what out there in the future or whatever, make sure that you, uh, well, make sure that either proceed with the spoiler light on or see that second episode and proceed with all the know-how. But uh, Pete, this was a heck of a, uh, you know, an opening. I want to say pilot, of course, it was the two episodes, but better than expected. And I had some pretty solid expectations. I'm really loving what I have seen so far and uh, can't wait to dig into this, Matt, after I recap these two episodes. Young Tandy attends her ballet class and young Tyrone catches up with his brother, Billy and his friends on the streets of New Orleans. As Tandy awaits her overdue mom, the boys are plotting to steal back a car stereo they were stiffed for and think they've sent Tyrone away. As Roxon Research and Development's Nathan Bowen picks up his daughter in a storm, Tyrone steals back the stereo. Tandy wonders what's wrong with her mother's back that causes her to take so many pills. Bowen's Blackberry blows up from work. Billy discovers uh, his brother stole the stereo and intends to return it when the cops find them and they run. A distracted Nathan tells his bosses the dangers of shutting down their oil rig before he loses control of the car in the storm and winds up in Lake Bourne. Billy is cornered by the cops who shoot him in front of Tyrone when the oil rig explodes. The red-headed, scarred cop's eyes meet Tyrone's as he jumps into the water to try to save his brother. As both children are trapped underwater, a surge of energy from the rig reaches them. Tyrone goes to the light while Tandy reaches for the darkness and their hands meet. Years later, after the title card, Tandy goes clubbing and eyes a handsome VIP. Meanwhile, Tyrone Johnson's basketball coach rips the team in the locker room. Tandy arranges a private party while Tyrone can't get the referees to blow the whistle in front of his folks. As things heat up between Tandy and her rich kid company, she slows things down before exposing her side business dosing wealthy boy toys, booze, and boosting their stuff. She lets her boyfriend Liam in to clean house. A frustrated Tyrone gets tossed to the court before taking matters into his own hands and getting in a fight. Tandy finds ballet tickets, a dress, and pills. Liam drops her off at a brownstone, but she goes instead to an abandoned church where she snorts the pills, and Tyrone tries to ignore his parents arguing 
Young Tandy watches her struggling mother, unable to fend off the Roxxon Corporation's jackals who have blamed her late husband for the oil rig explosion, saying he went rogue on some research project. In the present, Liam didn't get as much as she was hoping for the stolen goods, but he's heard about a party in the woods. At school, Evita invites Tyrone to the party in Culper Woods by placing a GPS pin in his phone? Tandy goes home to an empty house and stashes her cash, the ballet tickets, and pills. Tyrone goes to the party in the woods where Tandy bumps into him and lifts his wallet. He chases her once he realizes and catches her in a cemetery where her hand glows in his immense darkness. Tandy and Tyrone recognize one another from the beach after the storm. He wants her to stop running, but... When they touch again, she glows and vanishes. After an amorous moment with Liam, Tandy starts to tell him about the night her dad dies, but stops. Tyrone sneaks home and awakens in the morning on a roof in a black bedsheet. Young Tyrone's family visits Chief Watts of the 10th Police District to learn that the Coast Guard found Billy's body with drugs in his system. Tyrone says it's a lie and that he was shot. The chief plays surveillance video of Tyrone stealing the stereo. His credibility called into question. The chief points out no police officer with red hair and a scar has ever worked on the force in his 20 years. In the present day, Tyrone happens to see crooked vice cop Connors, the redhead with the scar, on the street as he is arranging a late-night deal and loads up his trunk. Surprised by her mom's unexpected return home, Tandy cuts her hand and carelessly tosses her bag into the closet. They haven't seen each other in weeks, but mom just finished her last shift at the diner. But it's all good because the lawyer she's dating is going to get them back into court and they're going to buy the diner. When her mother touches her hand, Tandy flashes back to a better time in the ballet studio as her parents watch her, knowledgeable of her current situation. Mom is unable to see the same thing Tandy does. Once he arrives home, Tyrone Googles Connors before mom confronts him about missing school that day. He feels smothered by her fear. His parents will lose him like Billy. Tandy gets dolled up in her stolen dress with the ballet tickets. Tyrone lies down and comes to in Connor's trunk. Tandy leaves the ballet only to get chased into an alley by rich kid Rick and friends. The youngsters watch up on the beach in the past and Tandy steals Tyrone's brother's hoodie and runs away. Rick dismisses his friends as he attempts to rape Tandy before she stabs him with light from her hand. Tyrone foils Connor's stolen evidence drug deal and runs. When Connor's catches him, Tyrone sees the darkness of what he did to cover up Billy's murder with his fixer uncle, allowing Tyrone to escape. 
Connor shoots to kill Tyrone, who reappears in a trash bag in his room, along with a bullet casing. Young Tyrone finds a ballet slipper in a tree. When Tandy can't reproduce the light daggers, she ponders more pills before seeking comfort in Billy's old hoodie. Tyrone finds solace in the sleep in the slipper he still possesses. Episode two begins as fireflies illuminate the scene of a crashed car bearing the words just married, along with blood leading away from the scene. After the title card, a woman hands a cop a cup of coffee before crossing over into a crime scene and putting on her detective badge. She finds blood in the alleyway outside the ballet. Tyrone gets ready for school and Tandy moves to distance herself from Rick's stabbing. At breakfast, Tyrone's dad talks to him about making things right with his coach and team. He references the role model his wife became after Billy's death. Tandy tells Liam what happened and that the knife is now gone. Tyrone confesses to a tattooed man who has prescribed him drugs he didn't take. They talk about survivor skill, compulsive tendencies, and bottled up anger. Tyrone asks the man, who's a priest, what if the poison inside him pointed him to the one who caused it and he could punish him? Father Delgado advises him against vengeance and counsels that they re-examine the topic in their next session tomorrow. The priest preaches and the kids text as Evita catches up with Tyrone in a pew for an emoji-laden exchange. The detective examines photos and Rick's phone as Tyrone's mom checks her gun and Tyrone locates Connor's green car. The silent detective, TSD, brings in Rick's friends and presses them with evidence. At a very versatile dry cleaners, Liam asks Elmer to get Tandy a new ID to get out of town. The cost, 11 grand. Liam can scrounge up five or six. Tandy thinks she can dig up the rest. Tyrone is late for basketball practice. Tandy gets to meet mom's new lawyer boyfriend, Greg, who filed an injunction against Roxon earlier in the day before they celebrated by working their pants off. Tandy finds her bags stash raided, the cash used for the injunction. Tandy runs away as Tyrone runs to practice, and Fenwick loses his lunch running suicide sprints with the rest of the team. Punishment for Tyrone's actions. Liam and Tandy tail a tuxedo gentleman who came into the dry cleaners to get his cumberbatch fixed. She instantly discovers via social media a guest has food poisoning and they assume their identities at a wedding reception, eyeing how to make up the other half they owe Elmer for the ID. The silent detective shows a woman a clipboard with a police artist sketch tandy eyes wedding cards in the previously glimpsed cage the cash bar and tips 
the wedding planner is probably holding on to. Tyrone laces up in an empty gym and gets his sprints in before Father Delgado throws him a towel as Tandy works the wedding. Though the bride's words to her father move her, she tears up notes about love at her table when her hand glows again, but nobody sees. When Benny and Tyrone's other teammates attack him in the locker room, he tries to teleport under a tarp, but unwraps only to take a punch. A beat cop hands the silent detective a coffee with a phone number scrawled on it. Back at the wedding, Liam has learned maid of honor Delia has the tips and suffers from resting basic face. Tandy thanks him for all his help. As they dance, she sees a vision of them dressed as the bride and groom at an outdoor wedding talking about their past and future. She snaps out of it and leaves. Tyrone uses a baseball bat to break out of the chain he's been locked in the athletic storage area with and calls his mom to tell her basketball practice ran late. Tandy's crying in the bathroom gets the attention of Delia, who gives her a pep talk and a hug, which allows Tandy to spy the ratuity dollar sign purse. I'm not making that up. Wielding the bat, Tyrone walks to find Connor's car from which he watches him unload propane tanks in a cardboard box before eluding him. As Delia goes to tip the caterer, Liam steals the bar cash before discovering the ratuity dollar sign purse is stuffed with torn up love notes. Tandy grabs the wedding cards in the cage they steal the convertible honeymoon car. At a convenience store, Father Delgado waits until a parishioner leaves to drop his bread beard and buys his booze. Tyrone arrives back home and asks his mom how she keeps everything running like clockwork. She admits she didn't always. When they touch, Tyrone finds himself in a flashback vision where his mom is strung out in a supermarket, being harassed by her boys. A younger Billy runs away and is shot, as is a young Tyrone. Tyrone then witnesses her see their gravestones and missing pictures on the back of milk cartons. In the present, Tyrone's mom becomes dizzy. He tells her someone poisoned her a long time ago and she just needs to rest. Tandy and Liam return to the dry cleaners, and he asks why she ran off. He tells her he knows she lives in that church and that she lies well. He tells her they can make it. She tells him there is no we. As Tandy drives away, the silent detective speaks and arrests Liam Walsh. He apparently uses his one and only phone call to call her and leave a message that he got pinched and needs her help since he poured everything into helping her. Connors is putting together an outdoor grill when Tyrone shows up with his mom's gun but vanishes as he pulls the trigger. 
He materializes in front of Tandy's getaway car when her hands glow and the car swerves. Recap now taken care of, Pete. Let's talk dark figures, some of the villains in the episode. Let's start with Rich Kid Rick. He is everything we have come to hate, Matt. And um, yeah, I dare I say the guy gets his comeuppance. Um, obviously, they're searching for Tandy as a suspect, having stabbed him, not knowing the particulars of the attempted sexual assault, given that his boys left him in the alley to uh, to attempt that i think too i mean he represents such a such an unfortunately familiar archetype you know hey i took you out on an expensive date i'm supposed to get something out of it that that being essentially the starting point um uh certainly the starting point of his his villainy his you know negative presentation etc um we have the luxury, of course, since he's a fictional character, to say, yeah, stab him in the stomach. But, I mean, this is a full-on, you know, sexual assault that we see starting to unfold. Kudos to director Gina Prince-by-the-Wood, who, you know, shoots this pilot in a way where things feel handheld, things feel close up, um, things feel realistic. Perhaps, you know, no more in that, uh, no more than in that scene. And... You know, again, uh, you know, uh, R.I.P. Rick or welcome to the hospital, Rick, whatever it might be. Uh, you know, we can we can revel in that in the fiction of it and uh, certainly well deserving to to kick off this list of villains. In Connors, we have a far more complex villain uh, having shot uh, Billy when Tyrone was a child, leaving him to witness this, leaving him to be scarred by this redheaded, scarred figure. Yeah, I think I give the show a lot of credit for for having a villain such as him. First of all, you know, something that we observed uh, certainly back, Pete, about 10 months ago when we had the the, the sorry duty to be podcasting Marvels and humans. Um, I was a bit surprised. Well, in that show and in this show, you have um, a production that's taking advantage of some of the tax incentives where it films, but nonetheless is unafraid to show some cops acting in a questionable manner. Uh, as Connors was being kind of slowly revealed, oh, there's not really a cop who's like that. You say, okay, that's because, you know, you know, New Orleans PD, all, all the cops are good, I guess. Uh, and then, no, it turns out he actually is a vice cop. He's, you know, he's one of the bad cops that's out there in the world. I give the show credit for doing that. There must be a discussion in the course of back and forth with a film office to say, do we need to show the city in this negative light with bad cops out there? And it works for this story. Uh Unfortunately, with the with the fact that there are bad cops out there in the world and in, in the news far too often, I think it also adds to kind of the contemporaneous nature of the show. I think, too, with this vice cop of Connors, it provides an insulation from Chief Watts' description. Well, I've worked here 20 years. I, I don't know who it is you're talking about that that. He reports to different people that he's 
clearly corrupt, uh, doing the wrong thing, had his uncle fix it and, um, you know, allows the law abiding uh, law enforcement officials of New Orleans to not be painted with a corrupt brush. It is interesting that you that you note that it insulates the chief. I think it also it also kind of insulates the story a bit. You know, I certainly don't know the inner workings of vice cops and undercover cops and things like that. But I'll buy the story conceit of like, oh man, you know, normal brass hasn't seen this guy in a while because he's always out there undercover or whatever it might be. You know, you kind of think of those vice cops as people a bit more certainly on the fringes. You know, they're not. You know they're 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 on the opposite end of the police spectrum from say the the uniformed patrol officer <laughs> riding around in a black and white with lights on the top and that sort of thing. Um, I think too for the story, he's he's a good longer term villain just in terms of uh, we want this mystery solved and he's here he's killed Tyrone's brother and uh, you know whether. He, whether he's the villain for the entire season, which I think is perhaps a bit much, or a shorter-term arc, you know, we kind of get to have the police discussion, the family discussion, uh, personal motivations for Tyrone, and that all comes in this one character who's really interestingly presented, I think. With the silent detective, Matt, as of yet unnamed, and sure, we could go off series descriptions and... Uh, IMDB pages, but Fantastic Geek, we don't say it until it's said. Um, interesting in that here's a character in law enforcement who we know is doing the right thing, yet she collars Liam at the end of this episode. She casts a very long shadow uh, in that second episode, the only one so far that she's appeared in. Pete, adding to the mystery of this character, which, uh, you know, we'll talk about, you know, the, the appropriateness of having a female character not speak. We'll talk about that in a moment. But, Pete, I was interested to discover uh, that she actually, uh, at least the actress, Emma Lahana of New Zealand, do you know what uh, very famous property she has been a part of in her uh, in, in a slightly earlier phase of her career? I do not. Pete, you would know her, and some of all y'all out there would know her, of course, as the yellow Dino Ranger from Power Rangers Dino Thunder. That's uh, that's your Kira Ford, of course. You probably feel quite silly, Pete, that you didn't immediately notice Kira Ford, yellow Dino Ranger. Completely silly. I should probably be kicked off this podcast. Uh, well, Pete, luckily we can have a bit more of a serious discussion now. I don't understand the story upside to having a detective who appears to be a mute for your opening offering here. Um, you know, certainly a very pretty woman. She's portrayed as certainly powerful. I don't know that it's necessarily somebody who needs to have tons of uh, words flow, particularly what with visuals like the patrolman who holds her coffee and lifts up the thing, you know, it kind of denotes a, a certain hierarchy of which she is on the higher end. But I found myself more distracted by the mystery of when will she speak? You know, that distracted me more than what is she doing? I get the stylistic choice that they made, but like you, it was distracting to the point that, okay, 
can she not speak? Is this a character affectation uh, trait? Whatever it is, um, is this somebody who examines a crime scene and is so into it that she doesn't speak? Whatever, and then she speaks at the end of the episode, and we know that's not the case. So all, all the characterization you built so far seems to have been eroded. I do know, just having peered at the Cloak and Dagger TV series entry on Wikipedia, I do know that this police officer character, uh, 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 Pete, I won't even say the name yet, but it's somebody who who comics characters uh, may... How about this way? The character has a comics origin, and that might be where this TV character is headed. I won't say anything more than that because I don't want to cause any mayhem. Well, Pete, let's keep the podcast moving here. Let's talk some light theories about where the series could be headed for the next eight episodes. This, of course, a 10-episode run on Freeform, and I guess we should mention it's also on Hulu the next day as well. Pete, where would your theory machine like to take us first? I want to go to a future where if I want to make you go to a place, Matt, I can just grab your phone and put a GPS pin in there and, and you can go there. I don't know how it's 2018 and stuff like that gets written. And the fact that it was a distraction while watching it and the fact that we're discussing it and it was a, it was, it was, you know, warranted a mention in your recap. Um, I don't have an age in front of me of showrunner and episode writer. Uh, he wrote both episodes, Joe Pekaski. A, a very, very well done episode, I should say. I mean, this, I was surprised. They both were. They both yeah. were. I mean, the first is stronger than the than the second. Um, but, yeah, like that. And, and there's another one in a second we're going to talk about that they're fairly big oversights from a, from an, audience standpoint when your hook is young people yes and i think that hits the heart of the matter that and you know and look many sins can be swept under the rug by saying oh but it's the mcu the rules are different uh, I, I mean okay true you know what we could also just have everybody walk on their hands and say that's different like it's meant to be our world except superpower people uh, you're not going to throw an iphone in there and not make it work the way an iPhone does. Um, particularly, as you said, this is the first time I'm watching a series regularly on Freeform, which I know is meant for becomers, Pete. That's your, you know, like 13 to 22. Um, you know, I certainly felt the show was completely accessible, but come on, these are kids who have grown up with phones, and now you're making, you're dropping GPS coordinates in a just like beep, boop, boop. That's the exact right? spot on the globe where we're going to be. Apparently, my phone is also a can opener um, <laughs> along those lines, Matt. You know, when I go to a wedding and I'm looking to crash it, OK, as I, one does, as one does in the movie Wedding Crashers, uh, I go to the table that has all of the names and I go on social media to find their names and then instantly find one that has food poisoning and her date and assume their identities in seconds. And to think, I mean, that could be, you could still have the same effect with the barest bit of editing 
Like, yes. you know, if it was like just a couple of, you know, um, kind of zip, zip, zap kind of editing things where looking, searching, da, da, da. And if, yep. you know, and then you get to the same thing of, oh, okay, they have food poisoning. You know, it's a moment that went by so fast. If you looked away, you would have missed part of the search there. I guess, I mean, the good thing, Pete, is that we have such small things to quibble about. But, yes. you know, it. It's a it's a show, as I said before, it's a show that exceeded my expectations. I didn't know what to think of a show on Freeform. You know, I mean, I'm aware of Pretty Little Liars and some of the other Freeform shows that we're, we've kind of been ancillarily aware Matt of. Matt is an enormous, give yourself credit, Matt is an enormous Shadowhunters fan, okay? He was like the sixth loudest scream at the New York Comic Con 2017 Shadowhunters panel. Well, I, Pete, Pete, I blush, but I won't, I won't deny it. I even know it's not true. Um, but again, I mean, these are kind of, kind of production quibbles there. Certainly looking at, looking at some of the larger views of the series, uh, I, I like how they continue to show Tandy and Tyrone in parallel. Uh, as I said on Twitter, it essentially is two episodes where these characters are in separate shows. Right. similar to be true but you know there's the tandy story and the tyrone story and they barely cross in two hours but a lot of that intercutting really hammers home that they're on these parallel paths well intertwined because of the fateful events of the night they gained their powers not only that i particularly appreciate the juxtaposition of their socioeconomic backgrounds in that you have tandy who comes from a once well-to-do family that's fallen upon hard times you have uh tyrone from a, a family where the mother seems to have once struggled with substances or some other issue uh had a child murdered and has gotten her act together and now they are well off and he attends a private school. It would have been super easy and lazy for them to take the other route. And this is far more interesting. I absolutely agree. And I think that that's one of the nice effects of, of where we're at in terms of TV, just where you can kind of not go for, not not go for some of those lazy decisions that now have have just become have become so rote that they're not interesting. Uh, you can make these presentations and really kind of offer up offer up a different perspective, a different take. And look, you get great character stuff as a result. I mean, the notion that that here Tyrone is, um, you know, is, is apparently quite skilled on the old basketball team and whatnot. You know, that's. Yeah, that plus kind of the private school thing. I'm certainly not saying that he's like playing for a scholarship or anything like that, but there's just kind of that added layer of he has all these pressures on him. It's sports, it's academics, it's family, it's the one surviving child, it's religious, all of that kind of layered in there. Um, and then to get to get Tandy, who has so much freedom that it is to her detriment, you know, not just one parent, but essentially an absent mother and 
living on her own. I mean, and my goodness, to live in an abandoned church. I mean, great imagery there. It's just, I mean, it's such a well-constructed foundation that the show is on. Matt, should um, priests who are apparently also psychologists be dressing in front of their patients and or students? Here's what happened I think in the scripting process, uh, a bunch of people who thank goodness were not focused, you know, personally or in the news or whatever on some of these abuse scandals came up with a really, really great way to reveal a character who I think has a ton of potential. Uh, and that is the character of Delgado, the school counselor and priest. They said, Hey, we know what we normally think of with priests, you know, like, older white guys that are always wearing the black and the thing and kind of a little bit like, oh, you kids, what with your, you know, modern uh, sins and whatnot. Let's reveal him to be a cool Hispanic guy who's got tattoos and a little like wisdom. Like he can kind of get down there with the kids. Uh, and then slowly to put on the, the, the priest clothing capped off by the collar. And you say, oh my goodness, it's a priest. That's a great presentation. There is just one thing, though, Pete, as you mentioned, I could not get around the fact that no. this is a guy who's dressing in front of a minor. You know, I mean, to be sure, Tyrone is not, you know, a wee child, but under 18 in an, an unequal power position in school, et cetera, yeah. et cetera. I don't think there's the, even the littlest glimpse that that's where we are headed with Delgado. But you put a priest dressing in front of a boy at a private school, you put that on TV, I think most people are going to be a little unsure where you're supposed to go, and they're going to go to the thing that you've heard about in the news and whatnot. Yeah, and I think that later they present him as someone who covers up that he's buying alcohol. I mean, a, a priest and, and, you know, being a Catholic... I, I can tell you one thing that we acknowledge that our priests are, you know, just like everybody else. They, they don't marry. Okay. They take vows of, of chastity, of celibacy, of, of poverty. Uh, but you know what? I've, I've known more than a few of them, Matt, who don't take vows against enjoying a drink and uh, that he goes to cover that up to his guilt or to his shame um, that he covers one thing up, I think kind of casts a specter over that, that previous act. I, again, I think Delgado is a very well-written character. It's just some of these things where you say, yeah, but priests don't need to not have alcohol. And if it was like, again, there's kind of a writerly solution. If it was like, if the woman who was online, I believe she was on the phone, so her attention was already split. But if it was instead, oh, hello, Father Delgado, my goodness, all this rain we're having or whatever it is, yes. that would be a better explanation. Because I could see there, fine, there might not be a vow against it. But if you're like, oh, gee, I don't want her seeing I'm buying whiskey, I, I get that. That's fine. Um, again, I, Pete, I almost feel like, at least in my mindset, it's such these two episodes are, are so well constructed and with such heart. You know, I don't want the listener to to think that we are dinging Joe Pekaski's scripts no, overly. It's just not at all. I mean, listen, it, yeah. we got to talk about things that that potentially open up story avenues. Might they be laying track 
for, you know, other types of, uh, stories that they, they may pursue. Um, the last from me, Matt, that Liam makes, you know, you, you get that one phone call when you, you go to jail, right. Uh, that he makes it to Tandy and leaves a message. I guess I've got to ask, does he not expect that they won't look who he called or two, is that call made under duress? Perhaps the latter, perhaps there's some hand of the writer showing. Um, I, I feel a bit, I feel a bit sympathetic, particularly in these early episodes. I'm a little sympathetic to sometimes if you need to bend the rules of logic a tad just to kind of get things moving along. It didn't bother me overly. I like the notion that perhaps he's under duress because you could get some story potential from there. Uh, but I suppose as with all things, time will tell. I'll just mention Pete, and this is kind of a theory and may, basically just an excuse to talk about the wonderful casting job here. Can you imagine this show without Olivia Holt or Aubrey Joseph? Because apparently they were both cast very, very late in the process, like three, four days before filming need, needed to start. Uh, I was blown away by how independently they are both so yeah. good in these roles and then the couple of scenes where you do have them together there's a chemistry but it's not the kind of chemistry where you go ah there it is the two lovers i kind of know that's I, i'm pretty sure that's where we're headed but it wasn't this like oh my goodness it's sam and diane on cheers and when will they get together <laughs> it was just like they really do complement each other in this weird cyclical hurtful way that the characters are presented Marvel and you know obviously they have the money for their their casting people but they've made tremendous choices when it comes to their young actors on this show and on the runaways in particular um so yeah kudos and really looking forward to seeing them spread their wings on this show Having seen them now in these two episodes, I mean, thank goodness, not, not only that both of them were individually cast, but that they found actors. They are both 20 right now, probably when filming the episode, and I just had the dates up and now I've, I've clicked away, but they were probably still 18, um, maybe 19 when the pilot was shot. So that just adds to it. I mean... It's 2018. We know what it looks like when you hire a 28-year-old to play a high school freshman on 90210 or whatever. And the fact that they have, you know, people who are at most a couple of years older, that work too. And it's just, you know, it's it's all about these two title leads and and making that all possible. Pete, let's move things forward, though. Let's talk mystical connections, thoughts that our listeners had on the episode. I ran a poll last night. Are you ready to hear the results? Yes, let's hear about the poll, Matt, and then I'll tell you about the one we ran on Facebook. The four choices, four stars, Nolan's Cooks. That's, by the way, for our uh, listeners, both foreign and domestic, Nolans is how people in New Orleans pronounce New Orleans. One word, Nolans. Uh, three stars, parents stink. 
two stars rocks on one star resting basic face uh we had four percent for one star eight percent for two stars uh 15 for three stars and a quite solid 73 percent for uh four stars which i if i had to vote i would give this double offering a you know uh four stars as kind of an introduction to the whole thing uh and pete we had a tweet from danny hernandez that's at whoosh danny h who said cloak and dagger was well produced i enjoyed the two-hour pilot abc signature is two for two on marvel young adult series so far Pete, that's Danny pointing out that there's a subdivision of ABC Studios called ABC Signature Studios yeah. that makes stuff for cable. And uh, he's right. This was perfectly, this was the perfect tone for cable, even though it had some of the words you and I never say. <laughs> One has to wonder, Matt, if ABC Signature ever gets the opportunity to do a Ms. Marvel TV show, what they might be able to do with it. Uh, yeah, yeah. Whether it's ABC signature for uh, for Freeform or for Hulu or for Hulu in the future or for Disney streaming or whatever, I think there's plenty plenty of places that that could all get made. But Pete, take us to the Facebook. On Facebook, man, on the Fantastic Geek page, I asked our followers here: Marvel's Cloak and Dagger hits Freeform tonight, which of the title pair do you prefer 83 percent matt coming in for cloak that's tyrone with 17 percent for tandy dagger so a little bit surprised with that mike sorison wrote in the choice isn't logical what is light without darkness black without white to balance it where would the tau be with both yin and yang and i replied to mike you figured it out and he said or i'm just a blow hard on my green meds who likes to be difficult and contrary take your pick <laughs> well i think mike's answer is probably the best best answer uh, for my money, I, I feel like I enjoyed the Tandy stuff a bit more than Tyrone, if only because, wow, I am completely opposite. <laughs> well, well, there you go. Uh, I enjoyed how, you know, Tandy is, is trying to break out of this perpetual downward spiral that she has been on since the death of her father, that she can see can be cyclical and unending uh with her mother you know this notion i i've worked my last shift at the diner you know it's kind of famous last words from the person who's too good to keep a job is i'm going to quit them because i'm about to get fired um and i i mean olivia holt's pathos in her eyes i just i just really really connected with not to take away from tyrone's story at all i just think it's a little to me, it was a slightly less engaging to be like, he has all these things. And you know what? He's a teenager who can't can't balance everything. That's totally true. And that's totally <laughs> true, not just for teenagers, but grownups as well. Um, I don't know. I just, there's something, I, I, I loved that. I don't know. I loved, I loved the, the, the dark tinges to the Tandy character. I completely am in the other direction, Matt. I loved tyrone's uh backstory 
Uh, I endured 16 years of Catholic school, every stop for which uh, the basketball team was the primary focus. So in that, I see a lot of parallels. Well, I feel so excited that we have eight more episodes to go. Uh, I mean, this really, I know I said it before and I can't think of another way to say it, but this is such, this was such a well-made uh, series of episodes. Uh, slight asterisk, you know, again, it is made for a slightly younger audience, but as as we've said before, whether it was Runaways or in preparation for Cloak and Dagger, there's a reason that the high school story feels so universal. It's because we all went through it, and these stories are able to transport us back to that time. And I would even argue, you know, whether it's a little bit of the language or, frankly, some of the more adult situations that we see in here, whether it's drug use, uh, whether it's maybe something a lot less, you know, sizzling, such as, you know, difficulty with relationships, whether it's family or romantic, uh, you know, things like uh, Rich Kid Rick's attack. This doesn't feel like it's, you know, a freshman year of high school show. It's not Saved by the Bell. This is a, this is a more mature view of that. And I'm really, really excited about these next eight episodes. It's relatable. And I find myself going back again to my experience with um, runaways in that even though you had children of Beverly Hills who are very well to do, they took great care to make them relatable to our current time. And, you know, I, I do not talk often on our podcasts, if ever about, you know, my full-time job, but working with young people as a teacher, um, in a high school setting, these are believable young people. They weren't, you know, you mentioned they're both 20 years old and they're not playing it like, Hey, did you, did you fortnight till 1am last night? Yo, what up playa? You know, they, they, they're, they're not cloying or, really coming at you in a way that's a ploy for this is ageist of a, of an appropriate level. No, this is written in a smart and thoughtful way that is at the same time, uh, universal to that experience of, of being in high school and, and finding out who you are. Whatever the modern, uh, you know, teen trappings are that are going to age badly and fade away and end up on the same, you know, the same dust heap as, you know, snap bracelets or Tamagotchi or, you know, whatever it might be through the ages. Uh, those things, you know, the, those modern things wound up on the, on the dust heap. What I think is very true about these young people in this show is, you know, the kids with one mom who's a drug addict, <laughs> Don't worry about, you know, Fortnite or Tamagotchis or Snap Brexits or whatever. They never have. They never will. The, the, the kids who have a dead sibling and tremendous pressure around them to excel in life academically, etc. Those are also the kids that are not worried about the latest, the latest fad of this or the latest fad of that. They're, they're living the life similar to Tyrone. Uh, again, minus the superpowers, of course. So... I think there's, you know, there are some kids that are asked to grow up a lot sooner, and that's part of the smart of this piled episode. Um, 
to show that they both have these tremendous losses. That's kind of your wiggle room where you do get 20-year-olds to play 18-year-olds and not not be, you know, kind of fresh-faced, you know, again, kind of saved by the bell freshman year type stuff. So you get that maturity because life has matured them up. Absolutely. Well, Pete, we want to keep this conversation going about Cloak and Dagger. How can people be in touch with you? You can find me on Twitter at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J-K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R, K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R, 9,975 followers. Can't be wrong. Closing in on that big number. While I am personally on Twitter as Looking Back Lost, do be in touch with the podcast. You can comment on fantasticgeek.com, email fantasticgeek at gmail.com. Check us out on Twitter and Instagram where we are Fantastic Geek as well. But wait, Pete, there's more. Facebook.com forward slash Fantastic Geek with the PH all one word like it today. Well, Pete, for those listening on the Cloak and Dagger podcast feed, we will be back next week to talk more Cloak and Dagger. If you're listening on the Pop Culture podcast feed, uh, we'll be uh, we'll be updating that with some other goodies around the same time. But certainly, Cloak and Dagger are focused between now and when Luke Cage comes out. Then on the Pop Culture podcast feed, you'll get Cloak and Dagger. You'll get Luke Cage. Get some other great stuff along the way. Always an exciting time for podcasting. With that, Pete. I will say adios to all our listeners and give you the final word. No one lives in a moment like you do. 